So it's been said that technology is a tool that's probably changed almost every facet of life as we know it. This being the case, persecution must be counted amongst the list of things changed. I wanted to take you this day. It was February of 2015 when the video aired. Unlike a lot of videos produced by Islamic groups, this one was not some grainy, garbled, second-class video. No. Its producers pretty much went out of their way to make sure that the images were clear. They used top-notch cameras, flyover drones, background music. They were jihadists, and they intended that the Westerners viewing this particular video would view something that they would hope they would never see again in their lives. It was a public beheading. If you remember the incident, and if you have seen it, you'll never forget it. The video shows a group of 12 men in orange jumpsuits, and they're kneeling in the sound. And you, you can hear the sound of waves behind them. And then standing back behind these men are several men dressed in black, wearing hoods and wielding machetes. The lead executioner took the mic, and in perfect English, he means to strike fear into every Westerner's heart. He begins with these words, O people, he announces, you have seen us on the hills of Asham and Dabi's plain, chopping off the heads that have been carrying the cross for a long time. Today we are on the south of Rome, on the land of Islam, Libya, ready to send another message. The man steps back and the message is sent. In an instant, the terrorists raise their machetes in unison. There's a brief sound, somewhat of a whoosh in the air, and then blood. As the camera completes its mission, 12 men lay dead because of their faith in Jesus Christ. 12 men join the martyrs under heaven's altar, calling out, Oh, when, O oh Lord, when will you return? I want to welcome you back today to our God-Sized Living podcast. Today, I really want to pick up where we left off last week. So if you weren't with us, we were making our way into the eighth chapter of Daniel, where I think in a subtle way, we meet a man of persecution by the name of Antiochus IV Epiphanes, who I believe really raises some questions that are relevant to this day. Last week, we started looking at these by asking the question, what is it? What is persecution and what is not? Uh, here, here's why. I believe definition is important. I'm going to guess that if I were to stop 100 Christians in the street today and conduct a street side interview, I, I love those. If I were to just ask the question, do you think that persecution is going on in America today? The majority of Christians would answer, well, yeah, yes, absolutely. But my question is, is it? Last week, it was my goal to raise a distinction between two things that I, I think oftentimes get either confused or intertwined, namely, on one hand, cultural displacement, and then on the other, active persecution. So one of the reasons I believe so many Christians feel persecuted in our Western world has to do with the fact of displacement. Simply put, Christianity has, in my lifetime, lost its place as the central or dominant narrative in American culture. In fact, it's not only lost its centrality, but in many respects, the biblical narrative 
as understood through the lens of traditional conservatives, is oftentimes looked upon as culturally unacceptable, if not downright dangerous. I'm going to give you an example. Uh, two months ago, an alumni of River Valley High School in Caledonia, Ohio, was asked to serve as the commencement speaker for graduating seniors. So during the speech, Jim McGuire, that's his name, a strong conservative Christian, expressed his faith and his belief by encouraging graduates of the school to follow biblical guidelines when making the choice of a spouse. McGuire stated that the graduates should put into practice the biblical mandate that men marry women and women marry men. Now listen, when I was a kid, if that speech would have been given at my high school, people would have looked at each other and said, well, yeah, not today. By the time McGuire's speech was completed, you would have thought a bomb had gone off in the auditorium. Social media boards lit up like a Christmas tree. Individuals expressed not only disgust and disagreement with the speaker, but I want you to hear this. They expressed their belief that McGuire's speech constituted hate speech. So what did the school officials do? Fearing backlash, they backed away from the man they had asked to speak, and they backed away fast. In fact, on May 31st of this year, the school board released a statement saying the alumni speaker was not a member of the River Valley staff. He was not speaking as an official representative of our schools, end quote. So what McGuire and those of us stunned really by this turn of events are experiencing is called what? Is it persecution? Well, while maybe a form of persecution is present in this example, I think that what this exemplifies is probably better referred to as cultural displacement. It's actually just a recognition that what at one time was the pervasive narrative in our culture has been displaced by a different narrative. In this case, a narrative in which limiting or even suggesting a limitation on same-sex marriage is looked upon as harmful and hateful within our culture today. Uh, this is something I believe that all of us who are traditional or conservative Christians are feeling, and we're feeling it in abundance today. So when, when really does cultural displacement become persecution? Here we looked last week at three things. Uh, first, we noted that persecution is something that Jesus said we all really should expect as his followers. Uh, I don't know if you remember Jesus's words in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, but remember Jesus is describing to his disciples what it's going to mean to follow him. And he, he says this, do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth, rather a sword. Sometimes people look at that verse and they'll say to me that, that seems odd. I, why do we call you know Jesus the, the Prince of Peace, and then he turns around and says, don't think I've come to bring peace. Doesn't that, isn't that a contradiction? Well, not really. The reality is Jesus absolutely brought peace to men who are on earth. But his is a cross one peace. Through his blood, he's made us, those of us who are sinners, right and at peace with God. He paid our penalty. But that said, what does his word do? It, can, it creates, really, doesn't it, a condition in which we should expect pushback. Here's the paradox. Well, on one hand, the word of God unites those who belong to Jesus. On the other hand, it creates division 
for the many who are apart from faith, who actually see it as hateful. And I think primarily because of its exclusivity. So number one, what's persecution? The Bible says something to be expected, expect pushback. God's word is, is not going, it's, it's, it's going to fly in the face of culture, not be embraced by it. Number two, what, what is persecution? Well, it's, it's something precipitated by and because of our belief in Jesus. When pushback occurs because of my faith, it can be or it may lead to actual persecution. And actually, that's, that's our third point. When you, when you ask me, what, what is persecution? Always go to the word affliction. There's affliction involved. So it's the affliction of, of a person, whether physically, socially, mentally, or spiritually. And it can take place in a variety of ways, sometimes verbally. Sometimes we're verbally afflicted, sometimes physically, sometimes through penal means, legal means. Uh, and, and in our example, I, I think I'd say it this way, Jim McGuire, as a speaker at his alma mater, experienced what? The reality of cultural displacement, along with maybe a form of persecution through verbal means within the context of social media and popular culture. I mean, he's, he's paying a price for his words, and yet he's not in any way willing to step back from them. Good for him. Uh, I think his is foremost a case of cultural displacement and secondarily, uh, it's a case of social or verbal persecution. So, so let's come back to the question. Is persecution happening to Christians who are living in America today, who are living in the West? So in his book, So Many Christians, So Few Lions, George Yancey, I don't know if you know that name, but He's a professor of sociology at Baylor University. And he answers that question, I think, with a very loud yes. He would say, well, yes, it is. Uh, persecution is present here, here in the United States and throughout the West, and actually in growing measure. So part of his research for this book he wrote, again, so many Christians, so few lions. Very interesting, very interesting look at our culture today. He conducts a number of surveys uh, one of the surveys he conducts while writing the book, he's trying to understand the nature of the discrimination and persecution going on in our culture today. Specifically, what he wants to know is whether what Christians are feeling today is just like mild disgust, like as our culture look at us and go, Ugh. or or is there actual hatred? And I want you to hear what some of the uh, recipients of this survey wrote in. Uh, Yancey publishes this in his book, and I found it to be jolting. So the question was, how do you feel about Christians in our culture today? Uh, by the way, kind of an interesting statistic, when he did his study, Yancey discovered that more people are uh, prone to, to like uh, Islamics than they are Christians, that actually our culture has kind of risen up to that place where Christianity is more and more at the bottom of the total totem pole. Here, here's some of the actual responses that were given. How do you feel about Christians in our culture today? One person wrote this, quote, kill them all and let their God sort them out, end quote. Wow. Kill them. How about this one? Quote, a torturous death would be too good for them, end quote. Really? 
I mean, these are, these are American sur survey participants. Let me give you one more. Quote, I am only too well aware of their, Christians, horrific attitudes and beliefs, and those are enough to make me see them, Christians, as subhuman, end quote. So as you hear those, what goes, what goes through you? I don't know about you, but I, I think that statements like these fall more into the category of hatred towards versus a, a mild disgust. And I'll tell you who uh, concurs with that, a, a writer by the name of Megan Bailey. Uh, Megan, if you don't know her, she's the social media specialist for a group called beliefnet.com. And uh, I loved an article she wrote here not that long ago titled, Is There Christian Persecution in America? Here's what she writes. Persecution of Christianity only happens in faraway countries, right? So last week we looked at some statistics on persecution. 13 people killed every day. Uh, at least that many buildings burnt down or attacked. People who are being um, held in, in abduction. Uh, and, and we looked at uh, what Open Doors, uh, a watchdog group says, is that list of countries, faraway countries, where uh, persecution is happening. At the very top of the list, remember Afghanistan. Uh, traded places with North Korea. For a lot of years, North Korea at the very top of the list. Today, Afghanistan. And so we tend to think of uh, persecution we tend to think, okay, that's Afghanistan, that's North Korea, that's, that's going to be these far away places, right? So here's, here's what Bailey says, wrong, wrong. Christian persecution is happening right here at home on our own soil. While it may not be at the levels of beheadings or burned down churches, although we have seen a few of those, it is still a problem that's growing, end quote. So Megan in her book, and I like this, identifies several arenas in which the level of discrimination against and the persecution of Christians is growing quickly. Uh, these include, first of all, the political and the legal realm. Uh, secondly, academia. We see a lot of uh, persecution growing in academic circles. Number three, the medical realm. Uh, persecution amongst doctors. Number for the realm of media, and oh my goodness, I don't even have to explain that. And then the last one, the job market. So in each of these realms, you can find specific examples of both discrimination and persecution, which leads me to the central question uh, that I want to get to, namely the why of persecution. Why would God allow persecution to take place? Well, I want to come back to that question next week. Um, but I, I, I want to walk through this in a way that honors the, the text in Daniel uh, chapter 8 and really just gets us thinking about uh, persecution in our own lives. I want to leave you with this question today. As you look at your own life, uh, has there ever been a time when you felt either discriminated against um, or looked down upon or maybe even persecuted because of your faith? Or have you witnessed that amongst friends or colleagues or people who you go to school with? What's your take on it today? Uh, I want to leave you with that question. We'll be back next week and we'll continue this. Uh, I really want to do that as we get further into chapter eight. Uh, listen, I want to continue praying for you. I ask that you would pray for me. And uh, in the meantime, um, I'm going to tell you to have a God-sized week.